thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. and welcome to Locations Unknown. Wherever you are, thank you for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Mike, and as always, I'm here with Joe. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. We got a couple updates. We had some, uh, we actually sold out of our hats and merchandise on the website, which is pretty cool. Just got some more in. We also have some bumper stickers available, so please visit us on Facebook, check out the store, help us support the show. This episode is brought to you by Verger. The health benefits of CBD have been known for quite some time. Verger offers only the highest quality raw flour, edibles, oils, skincare line, and various other CBD products. You can find them on Facebook or on their website at vergermed.com. That's V-E-R-D-U-R-E-M-E-D.com. Okay, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. The date is October 18th, 1984. Three and a half year old Laura Bradbury was on a camping trip with her family at the Indian Cove Campground in Joshua Tree National Park. Joshua Tree served as a nice break for the family of five that lived nearby in a cramped two-bedroom condominium. Laura and her eight-year-old brother Travis went to the restroom. While Travis used the restroom, Laura waited outside for her brother to return. When Travis came out, Laura had vanished. On this week's episode, we will cover the timeline and details that led up to Laura's disappearance, the bizarre events that unfolded during the search, and the shocking murders that opened the door to a potential conspiracy and cover-up. Joshua Tree National Park is located in Southern California. If you've listened to episode one of the podcast, we already went through a pretty detailed description of the park, so we're not going to do that again here. We are going to go into a more detailed description of where Laura went missing, which is the Indian Cove Campground. So this is information right off the National Park's website. Yeah, I think if you want to know about Joshua Tree, they should probably listen to our other episode. Right? Yeah, we, we had a great uh, episode uh, where we actually talked to George Land, the PIO from the park. He went into kind of a lot of the details of the geography. and. Yep, so finish this episode up, go right over that other episode, and then when you're done with that one, listen to all the other ones too. <laughs> so uh, as we said, Laura went missing in Indian Cove Campground, which uh, lies amid some huge steep rock formations, which Joshua Tree National Park is known for. Uh, because of the proximity to many rock climbing routes, it is a popular camping location for climbers. Indian Cove is one of four campgrounds in the park that can be reserved during the busy winter season. 
It is open on a first-come, first-served basis from June 1st to September 29th. And I always hated these kinds of campsites because you have a list of really cool places you want to hike. And unless you're on their website, the first hour it goes on, you know, to yeah. the general public, you're never going to get it. Yeah, absolutely. But um, so, yeah, it, it's a first-come, first-served basis from June 1st through September 29th. Travelers who enjoy warm, dry winters flock to Joshua Tree from October through May when temperatures hover between 70 and 90 degrees during the day and drop to 40 to 60 degrees at night. So this is like super popular for people from the north. Yeah. Like I can imagine like everybody's trying to get there. Joshua the Tree months. is on my list. I've never been there. Uh, so hopefully in the next couple of Although years. Although with all the people that go missing there, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. No, I still want to go. Summer is the park's off-season due to the uncomfortably high desert heat, and Indian Cove is at an elevation of 3,200 feet, so elevation is not going to be an issue for anyone. Yeah, it just sounds like it's a large campground um, that you really can't see all the campsites because of all the rock formations, and it's super popular for people to go climbing, so I'm guessing... Is this a drive-up campground? Yeah, like like there's um, RV hookups in some of the spots. Some of them, like it's... I would say like you're more... Not your everyday backcountry hiker, but like your camper. So like, there's some areas for RVs to go. There's some flat areas. I mean, pitch these, tents. It sounds like a campground. Usually on our trips, like a state like park. Like the first night, we'll stay at a campground like this. At you know, we've been driving all day or flying all day, so we kind of stay there. And yeah, then we, you can just pitch a tent next to your car. Yep. At at like uh, they have those wood base areas where the where they have spots for your tents and usually and like a, a bin for fire, a picnic table. Yep. Um, some of them even have electricity showers. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's obviously in this, there's restrooms. I don't know if they had showers, but there are restrooms. I'm guessing they have showers cause yep. it's super popular and right off the road. And usually a lot of these campgrounds too are kind of the starting point for a lot of the trails in the park. Sure. So yeah. And, and I mean, in this one, we talked about in the last one, I'm not going to get too much into it so that people listen. Um, but there's not a lot of long trails because it's desert and yeah. you don't want to spend a ton of time in the desert. So I can imagine this is super popular for people. Um, just do some car camping, do quick day trips to different trails. Yep. Or if you're a rock climber, from what it looked like in the images, we'll have a couple on the site. There's a ton of rock climbing routes right in the camping area. So That's I mean, you cool. can wake up and climb yeah. and then you're right there. You don't have to like travel to go do it. Excellent. Well, uh, that's a location profile of the campground area that Laura went missing in. Joe now is going to go through a character profile of Laura. So we don't have um, a ton of information on Laura. She was three and a half years old. Uh, She had blonde hair, blue eyes. So we're going to have some pictures of her. I would say her height, weight is irrelevant and things like that because she's, yeah, she's a toddler and it's not like she's backcountry camping. So I think a lot of times that stuff can play into if you went missing on a four-day backcountry hike, how tall you are, how big you are, what are the predators in the area? Yeah. She was in a heavily populated campground with her family. She's three and a half years old at the time of the disappearance. This is still unsolved, so she would be about 38 years old now. If nothing happened, and I'm not going to get too deep in it, she'd be in her late 30s right now. October 18th, 1984 was the date of her disappearance. She was going to the bathrooms with her brother. Her brother had to use the restroom. She just kind of followed along. The start of the story begins when he came out of the bathroom. She was just gone. In a big campground with the parents there, the search began immediately. I mean, initially, it's parents looking around. They have a large family, so they're all looking around for her. 
So this is a very short window in a very populated area. So that's what makes this kind of crazy is there's a lot of people around that could have seen things if something shady went down. Did they say how long the brother was in the bathroom for? No, but uh, here's my speculation. Little kid at a campground, he's not going to be playing in the restroom. No. They're probably doing a lot of fun stuff. like a minute tops. Yeah, he probably went in uh, to go number one and then came out and she was gone. So my guess is... We'll get into some theories later, but whatever happened, happened immediately. Mm-hmm. And how fast can a three-and-a-half-year-old move? They can get pretty far, but it's a very populated campground. Yeah. There's a little kid running around by themselves. Yep. People will notice. So that is the 18th. So the search begins immediately. They don't have the exact times, so but basically from the 19th through the 22nd. So from the start of then... They're starting to coordinate things. By the next day, they have 250 searchers with horses, dogs, helicopters that are spread out throughout Joshua Tree. At that point, it was National Monument. So it's a national park now, but it still wasn't officially a park. Now we're going to introduce Mike Bradbury. Mike is Laura's father. He actually accompanied a bloodhound that followed what was believed to be tracks from Laura's flip-flops for almost two miles before the dog lost his scent. So they actually had a scent that they were following and flip-flops that were her size that they followed for two miles. So do they speculate that she actually walked for two miles? See that that's, they don't mention that, but that's where you have, we've talked many times about the power of the dog's nose in this Mm -hmm. episode and how there's a lot of cases where they're finding people. They can follow sense for miles and find people in remote areas. Yeah. Even through water and things like that. The police gave the dog the scent of Laura from an article of clothing or whatever And they followed flip-flops that were her size for two miles. So that's pretty crazy. That means there was somebody small that went for two miles with tiny flip-flops. That's, yeah. So that's, again, you think, In the desert. In the desert. So that's odd. I really wish (laughs) they would have described if it was like kind of a straight line or like a three-year-old's going to meander. But then you also get into, of my experience with my kids, they would be all terrified to leave us too far. You know, they'll push their limits a little bit, but they get freaked out if they're gone for too long and lose sight of Mm -hmm. me or my wife. At the end of the 22nd, it's been three days after she vanished, the county sheriff department called off the wide-scale search. And this is very typical because they basically keep a large search going for the amount of time that's possible to survive on your own. Mm -hmm. So it sounds kind of morbid, but it it also doesn't mean that they stop searching entirely. It's they can't have... 200 people out in the desert yep forever well and when we were talking to george um the pio from joshua tree he said they will set up training exercises in areas where people go missing correct just in case they turn up something while they're training so it's a way for them to kind of keep searching for items of a missing person or their remains Mm -hmm. even after the official search is over correct so during this point, so they stopped the search and they didn't find anything. So they called off the wide scale search, but they're still running investigations. The local police are still questioning people. Like I said, there's a ton of witnesses yeah. because the campground is usually so full. So multiple witness interviews pointed to the sightings of a suspect. It was a man in his fifties in a metallic blue van that was spotted at Indian Cove shortly before she disappeared. And investigators speculated to the press that he was taking a back road to Big Bear and the man was described as a potbelly, bearded man. <laughs> so that was it. And they didn't, basically through their investigation, they didn't put too much you know, credence into it. They thought maybe yeah. it was just a guy traveling. There are a lot of people around. I'm sure he looked shady. 
So they probably, they had thousands of tips coming in. They can't yep. take all of them. So they have to see how much evidence they can get and how much, how they're spending their time. So desperate for any answers, the sheriff's department even brought in hypnotists to try and get more information about the man from the witnesses and nothing turned up. So they were passionate about this. It was trying everything. They were trying everything. And I think that's important to say, because I think some people look at when I first read, I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> but I also look at it as they may have taken this so personally they're throwing and they're turning up nothing. Yeah. And I could imagine how frustrating that is at that point, you throw your hands up and just say, what the hell else can we do? Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's bring in a hypnotist and see if there's some subconscious thing we can get out of some of these people. And they still got nothing. Wow. So Mike, the father, was started losing faith in the deputies handling the case. So I'm I'm guessing too you have, you know, father and mother freaking out. Yeah. You know, they have a big family. They have a lot of kids. They probably love kids. They have their three and a half year old goes missing. That'd be devastating. So they're yeah. freaking out. They're probably questioning the sheriffs. That's adding stress to the sheriff's team. So in interviews, he's giving to the press too, which would not help the situation, would complicate it. He was calling them incompetent and lazy for not doing something. So you have a mix of these guys, I think, are trying their best. You have this father who's devastated, who's starting to point fingers, and he's looking for answers, essentially. So he's helpful, though, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, you're dealing with people and emotions. So if you have yep. a sheriff's deputy that's actually trying very hard and now he's being called incompetent, he's going to get Probably defensive. a lot of those guys have young kids too. Sure. I mean, they're all trying their hardest to so find it's, this girl. It sounded like it was just kind of like a crap show. I mean, it, it's just of, of emotion and people running around. Yeah. Um, he even speculated at one point there'd be a cover up because someone inside the department knew the kidnapper. So he's thinking there's a kidnapper oh, and they couldn't get information. And someone's covering it up. Yeah. So that's also where you start going back to father, mother intuition stuff. Like yep. how did he come to that conclusion so fast? I mean, it's been only a few days and he's doing these interviews within weeks of the, of that happening from his perspective. He started growing tired of what he thought was the incompetence of the authorities. The Bradbury's mobilized their own massive effort to find mm-hmm. Laura. So they are distributing millions of flyers. They had, T-shirts with her pictures, her picture printed on them and distributed them. Uh, they appeared on multiple radio and television talk shows uh, to muster support for their effort. The disappearance was even recreated twice on national television. So wow. they actually reenacted and kind of went through like what could have happened with the help of uh, national TV. So it, it became a huge story. Yeah. They established a hotline to gather tips on their own and other field inquiries. And Laura was one of the first missing children to be featured on Milk Carton. So that's when they started doing the missing kids. So, I mean, her image was blasted everywhere. So it became a huge national story. In comes, I'd say, one of the first twists of the case where you'd think it would end up being a break. So of all the tips and the questions that came in, there were two individuals who claim to have solid information on who kidnapped Laura. So you had two people come in and say, we know who did it essentially. It was Clifford LaVille and Toby Santianglo. They were questioned and their stories were checked out by local authorities. After the investigation, the official word was that the tips and the info were not credible at all. And this by itself would not have been a huge deal. I think, um, you know, there's a ton of people that will, you have those people that will try and gain notoriety for themselves yeah. or a little off in the head that just want to be involved in stuff. So I'm they sure they submit fake tips. Exactly. Or... So it, it initially comes off as maybe these were just a little goofy people that wanted to get some fame yep. and are taking advantage of a situation. Shortly after reporting what they believe to be good details about who kidnapped Laura, 
both Clifford and Toby were found shot to death. Wow. <laughs> so I think that is like that's a, a that, that's one crazy hell of a coincidence. Yeah. Exactly. And I think when you get to a coincidence that's crazy, you're not in a coincidence anymore. Yeah. This is a clipping from the October 18th, 1985 in the San Bernardino Sun. Bolin, who works at the Morongo Basin Sheriff Station east of Indian Cove, said a deputy was scheduled to visit the picnic ground at 4 p.m. Thursday to kick off a four-day patrol. It is the latest development in a year-long investigation in the case which brought newfound notoriety on the plight of missing children. So this is the case of Laura, essentially, they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Joshua Tree National Monument, a desert and mountain wilderness, has been searched before for clues to Laura's disappearance. Search and rescue teams have visited the site several times during training exercises and to explore theories. So this is, again, harken to what you said yep. that they never really stop searching for people. No. They're going to keep going, and they run their training exercises there. So they, they ran exercises to explore theories on where Laura might be. On the slim possibility, her body is still there, Bolin said. Investigators have gone back up there time and time again, said Bolin. In January, dogs trained to sniff out bodies were brought in, but they found nothing. The search for Laura also has produced some startling side investigations that continue today. For example, the bodies of a pioneer town couple, Clifford LaVille, 42, and Toby Ann Santiago, 22, were found in July and August at Sunfair Dry Lake, about six miles from where Laura was last seen. They have been reported missing in April, two months after they gave detectives the name of a potential suspect in the Bradbury case. Lieutenant Dean Nadler, a task force investigator, said the couple's tip was just a feeling on their part and nothing concrete. So you have conflicting statements where this couple says, we have concrete evidence. Yeah. They get murdered. Questions start getting rose again about like, wow, that seems like a coincidence. Yeah. And the authorities' official response is they had just a feeling and it was nothing concrete. So this is again where you start seeing, all right, there's some weird red flags going on that mm -hmm. are a little beyond a consequence. So now we're going to fast forward to 1986. So roughly a year later, a skull believed to be that of Laura Bradbury was found by hikers near the park's west entrance only two miles from the family's campsite. Some reports say five miles. So there's a little inconclusiveness there, but it was yeah. within a five-mile radius, we'll say. Pretty, yep. pretty dang close. However, DNA tests were unable to conclusively prove that the skull was Laura's, not even blood type or gender. And only certainty was that it was a child. So at that time, they didn't have the DNA stuff to really do a good match. But I So mean, they knew it was a kid's skull, and it's a person's skull. Like, yeah. like it's, I think initially you kind of blow it off like, oh, it could be anybody. And you're like, wait, it could be anybody. Like, yeah. what kid died out there then if it's not Laura? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of, I mean, I know they can't conclusively say that it's Laura based on DNA, but you've got to think. Laura went who missing else a year is ago. missing their kid yeah. that didn't talk about it or yeah. like so that that's where it's I remember I felt kind of bad even after reading like oh it could be anyone like yeah. I was gonna blow it off then I realized wait no that's a kid skull yeah. like that's a person it's not just like an animal skull you found laying around yep so a sheriff captain actually did publicly speculate that it was Laura's and had his own theory he said maybe she meandered away from the toilet stumbled and was somehow buried by collapsing sand. Huh. So, uh, that I, has that happened before? I don't know where you come up with that. Yeah. Again, it's kind of like okay, 
why would he say that? That's kind of a weird theory, I guess, versus she's three. She wandered off in the desert and died of exhaustion or exposure. Yeah. That was very specific. She fell and got covered in sand. Like that just seemed very, very odd. Only recently he continued coyotes or mountain lions had dug it all up and that's how they found it. So that's his theory is she got lost, covered by covered by sand and a year or two years later now, uh, coyotes or mountain lions dug it up for some reason after two years. That's yeah. It seems a little odd, a little odd. So now we're going to, and this is why I I like this story. Um, it just, it seems like it's, it's, it's about to die out. And then every couple of years, something weird happens that goes into it. So I can imagine that the parents were just losing their minds Mm -hmm. and not only not getting closure, but then constantly maybe when they're ready to really, settle out of the fact that their daughter is missing and probably dead, but they don't know something happens to reignite and reinvigorate the investigation and then ends up leaving them more confused. So now we're in December of 1988 and this is where the story takes yet another twist. So we're going to go to San Diego County to an Alan Michael Stevens. He's held on a $250,000 bail as a suspect in a string of murders within San Diego County. This particular instance is based on, a strangulation of a woman whose body was found in North County and the San Diego County district attorney's office said authorities are continuing to review his past to see if he might be involved in three dozen similar slangs. So they think this guy's a serial killer. Yeah. So that's why he's got a high bail. He actually tried lowering the bail. They denied it. Mm-hmm. So he spent some time in jail while they investigated because they felt strongly he was involved in a lot of murders. Yeah. So they're thinking we're dealing with a serial killer. Now, this is completely separate from Joshua Tree, but outside the courtroom, Charles Rogers, which is a deputy district attorney who's working with the Metropolitan Homicide Task Force, said that a group will study Stevens' activities over the past three years to determine whether there's any connection between him and the murders of 39 other women. Wow. So they have this string of cases that are unsolved that are similar Mm -hmm. in strangulation that they feel like he might be connected to. So now we're going to go back down to San Bernardino County. Stevens was one of thousands of people questioned in the case after Laura vanished in 1984 while she was camping with her parents. Stottle acknowledged that Stevens' name also has been linked with two other unsolved crimes uh, tenuously associated with the Bradbury case. So Stottle said Stevens was an acquaint- uh, acquaintance of Clifford and Toby, whose bodies were found near the 29 Palms in 1985. So he was an acquaintance of the people who got murdered, Yeah, who gave what they said was a credible tip on the disappearance. So you have a potential serial killer who knows two people that got murdered, directly yeah. connected with the case, that had information on the who did it. Girl. Yeah. Now Stottle continues, this is the, the, the sheriff. There was street talk that those two, now this is uh, Clifford and Toby, had some information about Laura Bryberry case, Stottle said, but they never officially came to us, and as far as I know, it was just street talk. So now you went from they claim to have information, yeah. the sheriff's department acknowledged that they talked to them and, de- and deemed that it wasn't credible. Yep. Now fast forward only a few years, they're saying that they never came forward and talked to the sheriff's department at all. Huh. They're saying it was like a word on the street that they heard. Yeah. So the story is like they're slowly distancing themselves from these two people who came forward saying they know who did it, that got murdered. Saddle said it was not unusual that Stevens would have known the murdered couple because everybody knows just about everybody in the small community like Joshua Tree. I don't know about that. I don't know how small it is, but yeah, okay. Um, 
Alan's personal description. So this kind of gives it away. And this is based off of even what you said in the beginning about the, the description of who they, the multiple witnesses said who it was in the van, 300 pound former biker with scraggly beard. (laughs) So like, it's the exact description of what multiple witnesses said was a shady dude in a van right when she disappeared. Yep. So Sal said, we questioned him. This is Stevens in December of 1984 and January of 1985, because he lived in a van in the community of Joshua tree. Interesting. So (laughs) like if anyone's putting this together, it's like you question this guy twice. So he's obviously weird enough that he's an ongoing suspect. Yep. Now he's a suspect in a string of murders. He matches the description of multiple witnesses lived in a van at the time. And they just keep writing this off as, ah, it's not him. Yeah. It it seems like it's him. <laughs> so, and he finishes his statement, and this is uh, in the newspaper, we are confident then and are confident now that he had no connection to Laura Bradbury's disappearance. That's like the only credible connection that exists from yeah. what I've seen. I've, I've like looked deep into this. I even looked in that separate guy's history and all of his other ongoings. Yeah. He's like a career criminal and probably a murderer. Yeah. And he, they are like just acting like, nope, it can't be. It's not him. So who knows? So now we're going to fast forward to 1990. So we're getting more recent now. Mm-hmm. New DNA tests were said to prove that the skull was Laura's with a 99% likelihood match. So now with new DNA testing, mm-hmm. they're fairly certain to 99% degree. So that's Laura's skull. Yeah. It's done. So 2001, unfortunately, Patty, this is Laura's mother. She passed away. And that's only brought up because... They never stopped looking for it. Mm -hmm. And if I can even go back to the case in Rocky Mountain National Park, remember the parents gave up in five days? Yeah. These parents, I mean, she went to the grave, never giving up. This is like how I would be. I would never give up. And this is proof positive. And that's why I thought those parents did it. So back to this one. So now we're in in 2010. uh, Michael, her father, actually wrote a book about the disappearance called Laura Ann Bradbury, A Father's Search. In an interview... He said he was shown about a 40, uh, 40 color, 35 millimeter slides of the skull and was astonished to find out it was a full size skull, about seven inches by five inches, missing teeth and a lower jaw. He claimed that investigators showed him much, a much different skull shortly after the hikers discovered the remains. So basically he was shown the skull when they discovered it and he was trying to get it transferred because he couldn't even get a death certificate for his daughter Mm -hmm. because they couldn't determine it was her. And then when they finally did the test, they showed him 40 pictures and he said it was completely different skull, entirely different. And he's having trouble getting, you know, he, he wants it. Yeah. If it's his dead daughter, he wants it. Yeah. Like it's, it's his kid. So he's obviously still broken up about this. So Mike is quoted as saying, my wife and I were shown a smaller three inch skull cap in or around the 1986, 87 frame that the sheriff's claim was Laura's skull. He said the two skulls are totally dissimilar. They look nothing like each other. I wonder now what or whose skull they showed me then and why. He also had a report on tests that provided inconclusive results on whether the cranium was his daughter's. According to the report, only one of four DNA DNA tests performed on the skull matched DNA samples from Laura's mother's blood. Even hair taken from Laura's hairbrush did not match DNA with the skull, he said. The two partial skull bones are the only remains Michael was aware of that are believed to be from his daughter. I am very anxious to put closure to this terrible period of my life, Bradbury said. All I want is justice for my daughter. That's all I care about. So no no arrests have ever been made, and the case remains unsolved. So, 
This one's insane. Yeah. I mean, this so is, it, it's, it's, this one is, you know, a little different from some of the other cases we've looked at where there is, you know, quite a big possibility of actually human involvement in the disappearance. I think it was totally abduction. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of our other cases, there is always a, a big chance of something in the wild happening to the person. But um, I, I guess before we go into our theories, do you want to recap what some of the official theories were? Yeah, so I mean, what we have the first official theory that is written down was after they discovered the skull. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go back a little bit further. I think the official, I think everyone seemed to get on board that she was abducted. Yep. I think that's what everyone thought. And maybe there's a few people that thought maybe she wandered off and got lost. But I think the ongoing thing was she was abducted. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone through such a massive effort post-search. Yeah. Um, and that's simply because, again, you're in the desert. It's not raining. Not a lot of changes. Yeah. They do a wide-scale search immediately after she goes missing, can't find her. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. So then you get to the next official theory where they find the skull yeah. a couple years later. And the first official theory is she wandered and got buried in sand, which I just say is bull because you had the bloodhound following the footprints. Does she get completely buried in sand within one day? Mm -hmm. It's a matter of, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I just feel like they would have found something, especially the dogs. Then yeah, they would have smelled that. Well, the one thing, while I agree, I think abduction is the most likely scenario i'm still having a hard part figuring out how they were able to track her scent for two miles and basically that means that she was walking on her own power for two miles we don't know if it's down a trail or just through yeah the i couldn't get a report if there were adult footprints now, with her footprints there was tire tracks where the trail ended yeah i'm assuming if there were adult footprints that would have been a pretty big I mean, it would have been mentioned. Uh, it would have been mentioned. It was a flip, family little or... girl flip flops and boots for this so, amount of time, and then tire tracks pulling away from where they disappeared. I'm Something gonna, like that. I'm gonna go down that route first, just because I, I don't think this is the likely, you know, scenario of what happened to her. Um, I think but, tease it out so I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I still, obviously, the you know the dogs smelled her scent for two miles somewhere through the park, mm -hmm. and being that she's you know three and a half year old toddler uh prime target for a mountain lion or a coyote and you know, maybe one possibility is she did wander off like some people have said and you know she waddled down this trail for two miles and a mountain lion or some type of animal out in the park grabbed her maybe didn't you know kill her, her off. on the site but carried okay. her off I'm assuming a mountain lion is probably strong enough to carry a oh, yeah. three-and-a-half-year-old toddler I mean, you away. think about the things they carry. I mean, they can carry big animals. That would be very easy for a cat to carry off. And, I mean, so maybe, you know, there wasn't any human involvement in this. Maybe it really is a case of she wandered off, a mountain lion, you know, attacked her, and then, dra you know, dragged her away to, you know, the mountain lion's den or wherever the, it lived. Okay. And... Maybe it, that was outside of the search radius because, you know, maybe the searchers thought, you know, three and a half year old kid is not going to be able to walk farther than two miles in the hot desert sun. Well, and they're using helicopters and stuff, too. So and you'd, helicopters. You'd be able to see. And you know, they're flying. I'm only saying, too, because when we talked to George, he mentioned that when they get flash flooding there, it can wash away all kinds of stuff and move stuff, you know, downstream 
all over the park. So what I'm thinking, maybe, so little girl wanders off into the park two miles, gets attacked by a mountain lion, dragged to the mountain lion's den, you know, farther away. And then the remains get dispersed during some heavy weather in the park. And that's how the skull was found so far away by a park entrance is because it was dispersed by, you know, all the, yeah, the it'd almost flooding. Be, it'd be interesting to do a study of where the skull was found if it is like in a downstream section yeah. from another part of the park where they speculate she could have walked. So this is a good theory. I didn't think of this. And I mean, if you think about... I think about, this is a really good theory, actually. If you think about a mountain lion maybe attacking someone, I, I, I go back to looking at those nature documentaries where they'll go for like the throat. Sure. But they're not gonna they're not going to consume somebody on site, so there might not be a lot of sign of blood or anything right there i mean that'll happen later where the mountain lion takes the person to yeah as disturbing as it is to think about like know, it's yeah, possible it's terrible it's, to think about it's terrible to think about but i think legitimately to hash out what happened it's possible a mountain lion she's very tiny yeah grab her and they can just run i mean like one bite and run there could be very even little blood You'd think that's what I'm like thinking. if it's like usually the, they pounce, grab, and then they run off to a safer spot yep. to actually finish the job. And again, like I'm like and it could getting be, like gross feelings, even imagining could, something like witnessing that, how disgusting it would be. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you think about they can snatch and run, so there might not be blood evidence. Like it could legitimately be she walked yep. and that's where it happened. Yeah, and it could be outside of the search zone just because the searchers they were thinking a th- three, you know, three and a half year old little girl on foot isn't going to get very far. They're going to search this one, probably, you know, a couple square miles and, you know, thoroughly. Sure. And, you know, who knows? I, you know, maybe the mountain lion, like I said, had a den. I don't know where they live, but maybe they went underground and that's why helicopters didn't find any sign of her. I mean, who knows? Yeah, they, it, you would assume they bring them to some kind because they're going to look for shade. Yep. So under rock, under Tree. things. And that's where. They're hanging out. And then, you know, like I said earlier, George mentioned that this is very common and they this helps them and sometimes hurts them in search and rescues is when they get their torrential rains and flash flooding in the park. It literally washes everything away. Yeah. So and sometimes it helps them when they're looking for somebody's remains because it will wash stuff downstream and out in the open and then they see it. Other times it can just totally disturb the remains of somebody and disperse everything to the point where you may not find their, you know, anything from them anymore. Yeah. So, so the theory in your mind is she's probably under a rock the whole time. And some flooding may have actually kicked out the skull. Cause it's a larger bone. Like it could have actually got water. picked up by the flow and then yep. moved and then was half buried somewhere. And they thought maybe yeah. they weren't thinking of that time. Like, Oh, that's where it happened. Versus, I mean, no, this is where the remains ended up. If we're to believe local law enforcement and that guy is not responsible for her abduction, mm-hmm. I would say this would be the most likely cause of her disappearance and death. Okay. If you trust law enforcement. Now, sure. I'm not saying, I still believe, even after saying that this could be a mountain lion attack, I still think the fact that she was in a very populated campground and this guy has a known criminal history, like you said, and these two other people were shot that seen that shot yeah. dead. I think you're and dumped in the park. I think maybe this girl was, you know, and the other thing is this girl and her family were uh, frequent visitors to the campground in the park. Maybe this guy. Oh, so he lives in. Maybe, I see where you're getting at. Maybe he's been kind of 
you know, following this girl for a while now in this family. And, and sick people do that. They do that. They stalk their... They stalk, and then they figure out a time when they're going to attack and abduct the person. So maybe this guy had been following the family for several weeks or several months. Well, and it's sad because, you know, you mentioned it in the beginning, they're in a cramped apartment, so yep. they frequently visited the park. Yeah. So... Let's believe what they said of Joshua Tree's community is small at that time. Yeah. So this guy lives right there. And this big family, which would be noticeable. My family is very noticeable when I come out because we're eight people. Yeah. So if we pull up to a campsite, it's like, holy crap, look at that. Look at all those people. Yeah. So if they're regularly going there, they probably know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If it is the small community, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So this guy would be well aware of that family and that little girl and is potentially just waiting for an opportunity. And this is where... Honestly, the whole time you're telling me your theorem, like that makes, if there were no other things that happened, that's yeah. what happened. Like that was very convincing to me, except for, like you said, all these other things. She disappeared at the most opportune time yeah, possible, which would scream human kidnapping because she's in a populated area. So a mountain lion didn't get her at the bathroom. I just can't get over that two mile track. The bloodhounds were on though. That still, even with the kidnapping, so, I still can't reconcile that. Well, and that's where it's like, I'd love to know. Did she walk off with the guy? Yeah. Or, and they walked for a while first, like, cause maybe he was smart enough to know if I just grab this little kid here, she'll start screaming. Everyone's yep. here. So did he like, I have candy. I coaxed her along. Yeah, you want to come walk with me for a while? Yeah. Knows? Yeah. So, um, I mean, or is it possible the dogs didn't get the scent right? I mean, I, I don't think that's a high likelihood, but I would say anything's got to be possible at this point. So I think the initial official theory is just garbage. The lost, buried in sand. I think that's garbage. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously it's very easy to see a toddler wandering off into a desert and it, you know dying from exposure. That that to me is not. I would almost say outlandish. dying of exposure covered by sand over a longer period of time. Sure. Yeah. But tripped then buried as a result. Yeah, I, I just don't I, I don't understand that. I don't think that's it. it. <laughs> I don't think that's it. So then yeah, you get into they're interviewing all these people. This guy, everyone there thinks this guy is shady. Yep. And then he's not there anymore after this occurs. They question him twice on yeah. it. Then and this is again what throws me off and makes me scream conspiracy is you have these two witnesses that come forward to claim we have solid evidence. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the word stated that I heard that was quoted from them was solid evidence on who kidnapped. Yeah. So it wasn't even speculating on who could have, and it might be. It was, we have solid evidence on who kidnapped. So, like, they knew it. Yep. They give testimony. The cops write it off as nothing. Then they get murdered two months later. Yeah. In the same area. The next time that case is revisited... They basically talk about how it's street talk and these people never actually came forward to the police. Yeah, I don't understand why they're denying they came forward earlier. That doesn't make it sense. It seemed very well documented that they were interviewed and they came forward with solid evidence because it was reported in the newspaper yeah. right when it happened. So you had the newspaper from when they were interviewed and they had spoke to the news about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's already above, quote-unquote, street talk. Yeah. It's documented. They spoke to the news, essentially, and said we spoke to authorities. And authorities acknowledged that they spoke to them. Yeah. Then those same authorities, only a few years later, said they never spoke to them. Yeah, that's bizarre. The only thing I can think of is they, whoever they talked to maybe wasn't familiar with the case yeah. and just didn't know what he was like, talking about. Yeah. Why would you deny that? I mean... <laughs> Or say something publicly and not know it for certain. Yeah. 
So well, it, you know, it def- definitely seems that at the time, local law enforcement kind of bungled the investigation. I mean, there seems to be a lot of dots you can connect, yeah, and they weren't connecting them. Now, I mean, I don't understand that. You know, this description of the guy was in the van. You know, at the time of her disappearance, multiple people described the same type of you know guy. I think we can definitely say that the local police at this time kind of fumbled the investigation a bit. And I think me, that's where getting to Mike thought that they were yeah. incompetent. There's like, a lot of dots. I think he can... was saying that relatively quickly after they started things. Yeah. So maybe he was seeing things that were like, what the heck's going on? There's here? a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of dots you can connect and they weren't connecting them. And then you have the case of the wrong skull being shown to them later on. Yeah. Which, so again, they have is that this... just incompetence. They grabbed the wrong skull out of evidence. Well, or... and they talk about how he was trying to get the remains transferred for a long time. And yeah. they're, he's getting stonewalled, mm-hmm. which this isn't a major case or like a political figure or something that they're still investigating. Yeah. This is a guy who they're kind of done with, as far as they're concerned, they're kind of done with this case Mm -hmm. and he can't get it transferred for some reason. So you have, you know, this is only a short period of time. I mean, this was 38 years ago. Yep. You probably have the same people working at the department that were involved in there. Are they stonewalling this stuff because they know they lost a skull or again, yeah. there's speculation that he, like I said, and this is where it's a weird, either obsessed father or intuition. Yeah. One of his first things was he thought someone in the department was covering it up because they knew the kidnapper. So is it possible that they found the skull? Yeah. The skull was placed near the entrance mm-hmm. as a way to bring closure because the sheriff's deputy immediately speculated, yep, this is her. Yeah. But DNA couldn't prove it. So you have hoping maybe they're hoping the father and mother just accept it and mm. now it's closure they said no now you get to a point in period of time where you can do dna testing yeah and there's a verification of some sort it seems like there's some confusion around how the tests were run mm-hmm. he's shown pictures only he can't see the skull and he says immediately it's different yeah so is this evidence tampering now because there truly is a cover up and the officer involved in the case actually is doing something mm-hmm. And these parents will not let it go. And he has to keep slowly stepping, covering his tracks as they go through this and as they keep demanding the skull get released and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I guess as far as the investigation goes, I kind of lean maybe less conspiracy and more just incompetence. Okay. I think maybe they just ran a poor investigation and they, you know, the Do you think maybe it was incompetence cover-up maybe maybe they were trying to cover up you know a bad image i don't i'm trying to i just can't think of a a motivation to you know hide shield somebody that killed a child from you know being brought to justice i i just can't i can't picture any law enforcement going that far i i mean maybe there's a reason why i think i couldn't find any like familial connection Mm -hmm. to this Allen and anyone in the department. Cause that's the only thing I could initially think of was maybe it's like a cousin. The only thing I could think of is, you know, like some training day movie kind of plot yeah. where they, they have some type of, you know, drug ring going on and this guy makes them a lot of money. So they want, they don't want him to go to jail. They want to keep him in place so they can, you know, keep I didn't think rich. about that. If he's a known criminal and he's running but some sort of enterprise, I think that's there. going to, you know, there's absolutely I don't think no it, evidence of, there's no evidence, but I don't think it's also unpo- not, it's, it's not impossible. 
No, it has happened. Not impossible. I think. Um, I think for me, the two most likely scenarios are the the first one I said, where maybe she really did wander off because the bloodhounds did track her for two miles and she got attacked by a mountain lion. The mountain lion dragged her off, you know, quite a ways away out of the search zone. And then over the course of the next year, a lot of the torrential rains and flash floods, they get washed, you know, one of the bigger pieces of her remains, you know, out by the entrance of the park where it was found. Mm -hmm. I think that's a possibility. I think maybe the second possibility, like we said, is this guy kind of followed the family for a while and was planning to abduct this girl. He abducted her and then, you know, the investigation that ensued was just, you know, bungled and, Hmm. um, you know, the people involved were just incompetent and they, you know, they didn't do all the, the basic, you know, connecting the dots. They interviewed people and you know, yeah, we had those like two small individual. town sheriff's department just not yeah, and they're not equipped to handle this style. This, this maybe this, this was the magnitude first of this case in murder investigation that they've they've ever had, and maybe they you know who knows that wasn't like a clear cut yeah like something that just had a lot of a lot of detective work yeah like it it has a lot of questions and it's not like oh their boyfriend and girlfriend were fighting girlfriend found dead boyfriend ran away. I mean, if I'm an investigator and multiple people say this guy who lives in the campground area, drives a van, was at the scene when the girl went missing. Two acquaintances that he knew had said, yeah, we, we know, you know, some information. Then they show up dead. I would be probably arresting him. I mean, that's the biggest thing too. I could not, I could not read anywhere what their description was of the person who they said did it. Yeah. So all, everything I found in newspapers and the reports I found were that, they had solid evidence on who did it, but I couldn't find the information on what they said or who did it yeah. anywhere. Well, and so these two people that, that were killed were also dumped in the park where he lives. So, I mean... Yeah, like within the air. I mean... If I was an investigator, I think I'd have enough, what was that, circumstantial evidence Yeah, to maybe bring him in on the charge of maybe possibly abducting and, well, and killing this Well, and motive girl. if their testimony described him. Yeah. So to like not have them so actually speak in court, I think maybe the investigation totally screwed up this aspect of it. And then when the family tried to get the skull, I think it was probably more incompetence. They literally showed them the wrong skull, um, or maybe it, the, the the skull from the child was destroyed. Who knows? Or in the morgue, they have a bunch of skulls from different things. Maybe and they, they have grabbed a bunch of the stuff. wrong one. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> like. I mean, that and that could be possible too. If, I, I if they're not see, cataloging evidence yeah, very well. Yeah, and this is back in the eighties. I mean, it, uh, you know, no, yeah, they don't have computers. It's all no, files. It's and, all files, and so I could I could easily see see that happening. So I don't know. I'm more more and more that I'm thinking about. It. I'm kind of 40, 40 percent <laughs> mountain lion, sixty percent abduction by okay. this creepy dude. Okay, so you're forty sixty natural causes, sixty. 60, kidnapping murder kidnapping murder incompetent investigation okay i'm with you i'm also i'm, I'm gonna say three i love your mountain lion theory and if it wasn't for the other stuff i'd just yeah. say that's it something like that occurred mm. the one i'd say there's two possibilities the one you just described and then the second one would be some sort of more of a cover-up more of a cover-up just because Again, you have like the rule of threes where just things don't work out. Yeah. But it just seemed like a ton of very well-placed incompetence. Yeah. 
And and that could also be because we're looking at this thing under a microscope of just this one case. Mm-hmm. If we looked at other, like, is this incompetence rampant in everything they do? of incompetence. Yeah, like, yeah. like if we looked at every case they've ever did, is it very clear that they're incompetent, but other cases are easier and they just yep. work out? Or is this one specifically more incompetence than all the others? Which would then, and, again, I lean more towards the conspiracy side. Yeah, and I think you, I mean, we have to also obviously say that maybe truly there's more evidence that we're not seeing and the, the law enforcement officers at the time really came to the conclusion that this guy wasn't involved. I mean, I, you know, that is technically a possibility too. And See, but, but the other officers were investigating serial murders of women around yeah. San Diego. So they were not focused on these two witness murders or Laura specifically. Yeah. Because when it came back to talking about then in enters, the same sheriff that dealt with it originally. Yeah. So you have this guy's name popping up for several years revolving around this. Like he's inserting himself in this investigation specifically. Yeah. So, um, I would, uh, so I think we have good solid theories. Do you think I say I'd finish it with, do you think that one of the skulls was Laura's? Like, do you think Mm. that was her skull? She's, I think she the original dis- skull found was So she hers. was deceased as a kid. She's not like an adult somewhere. I don't think so. Locked up. I think it's very coincidental that this little girl goes missing in the park, and then a year later they find her skull. Yeah, a human child skull, and yeah, it's not in hers. in a park. I mean, it's a big deal when children go missing and are killed, and the fact that there were no other disappearances in that area I'd of say a child. Even in the newspaper clippings, you'd say if they were speculating, they could be like, well, there were two other kids that went missing in this area too. It could be one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's they like, never mentioned we that. found a small child skull. Yeah. This is the only child that's been missing. This has got to be it. And mm-hmm. then DNA tests later proved it was. Yep. And then did they just show the father the wrong file? Yeah. When I'm they had the pictures. That, yeah. So I think I'm with you on that one. I think she unfortunately did not make it. Fortunately, she's not being tortured somewhere and she's 38 years old yeah, locked in a basement, like, a basement. or maybe didn't suffer very long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's again, morbid, but is you hope the, that the suffering was very short. Is the guy short-lived. in the van still alive? I didn't check. This is I mean, my, he, this is my bad. Yeah. No, um, I'm assuming he was probably in his No, 30s, cause I was even looking time. up information on the officer and I didn't have enough information to dive in because I was searching his name Yeah, and there was recently stories of, corruption in the department with somebody with the same name if it's not the same guy mm-hmm. about like faking training records and hours to get money oh so i would love to see and, if at that's the same, same time uh, no like re, like in the last three years oh really because you've to met this guy so he's still a sheriff potentially i i didn't i haven't i was searching for a while to see if i could connect that this is the same last name yeah. or if it's maybe a descendant Mm-hmm. Of them, but I mean, you have officers that work at department fifty years, yeah, and they work their way up. This is a recent regards of this is one generation potentially of officer. Mm-hmm. So if this guy's doing this stuff too, and they're catching him, maybe he is a crooked sheriff potentially. Um, did not confirm that it's the same same last name, same first name. I'd say ninety percent certain it's the same guy, but we don't know. I can't one hundred percent confirm, so I'm not going to say it. Even though I kind of just said it, <laughs> no, but but Maybe you can you look look out. it up on your own. <laughs> yeah, look, look it up on your own. But yeah, they were they're they're going through court right now, court hearings on some form of corruption charges right now, and it's he's got the same name, and he's in the same area, same police department. So I'm like, what are the odds? Yeah. So it's probably him. Just couldn't definitively connect the two. Mm-hmm. So 
that again, because what I basically did was I want to find out the character of this officer to find out if he is more of a corrupt guy. And that's immediately what popped up were these other charges in court cases. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming he's more, no longer an active cop. He's been, he was consulting. Oh, okay. So the per, so the person was of an age that you could argue fits the timeline mm. and he wasn't employed full-time on the department. He's retired and consulting. So a okay. lot of times those guys will come back for training purposes and do classes. Yeah. Uh, when I went through fire Academy, it was a bunch of retired firefighters that taught all those courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm leaning more towards, I, I honestly am leaning more towards some sort of cover up. You're going to I, cover up. I route? am, I yeah. am. And I'm, I like to think I'm a more reasonable person and wouldn't lean that way. But like, I think there's it's okay. You can do it once. I know. I just think there's so <laughs> much here that's screaming conspiracy cover up. Yeah. I just can't connect the two guys. And I think that's the biggest thing is if there was one more piece that somehow connected Alan and the sheriff, yeah, it would be in my mind 100% that thing. Mm. So that's the one. And I looked for days. Yeah. I was Google searching those two names. Um, I was doing a ton of different things to try and see if they pop up anywhere other than just articles discussing this case. Yeah. And I couldn't find it. So, I mean, there's not a lot of data available in that case. time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be. So, I mean, I am still speculating, but I am leaning towards conspiracy cover-up. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess, like I said, I'm, you know, 60, 40, 60 abduction by the creepy guy in the van and then bungled police investigation, 40% mountain lion attack. Um, so, but yeah, I think, uh, the, the case is kind of, you, you don't know one way or the other after going through it, what, you know, really happened. Absolutely. So tell us your theories. Let us know what you think. uh, This is one of the crazier cases we've done. So we really want to know what you guys think. Let us know on Facebook, uh, Instagram, whatever you use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Special thanks to Verger for sponsoring the episode. Uh, They're helping us keep running this thing and upping the production quality as we go. Uh, Always like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And buy our hats. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Buy our hats. Visit the website. um, And leave no trace. Yes, leave no trace. All right, guys, we will talk to you again on the next episode.